You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman. Can't you tell, man? Gonna post it. What up, Fran? What's up, man? Last week we dropped that town hall episode. We did, where we talked to some folks. Uh, from the LGBTQ community and got their testimonies and a lot of their coming out stories. And we talked to our good friend Les for uh, an hour and had a fantastic conversation, as always. But got real and talked about some real shit. And I really enjoyed that. And I just wanted to, you know, just highlight it and take a second to go. That's really, that's really, that was really cool to hear that from people. Yeah. And to give people an opportunity to like speak those things that are on their mind, and I would love to do that more often with all with uh, all kinds of subjects. You know, again, as I said on the episode itself, like I don't know what those ep- those subjects will will be in particular. It could be it could be anything, and that's what I think is dope about it. You kind of find a broad subject that you know has a lot of nuance or has a lot of things that may not be known to people outside of that community, and you just shut up, yeah, and let those people explain it to you or tell it to you or you know, give, give their testimony. So, um, we will continue to do more town halls in the future. They're always so fun. And, uh, what'd you think about that? Did you see like a lot of the reception that we, I mean, you know, people, people yeah, man. To enjoy that episode. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always so informative. I always learn a lot whenever we do that, especially from just different perspectives and people that's, that's like boots on the ground. Yes. Have to deal with it every mm-hmm. day. Living so, that life. Yeah. So it's, it's all, I always love doing that. Can't wait till, we do the next one. Uh, I like how we choose to when we do announce it because uh-huh. we are, it's always organic when we pick and choose like yeah. what we're gonna do, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not just like pick a shit that's not important. Yes, because I feel like that's the two, what two or three we've done, three, 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 three. we've done are you know very important topics that yeah. you know that people need. We need to be talking about. Yes, discussions that need to be had, conversations yeah. that need to be had, uh, uncomfortable truths that need to be spoken, and uh, that's what I enjoy about them most those town halls and we still find a way to like really engage and keep it like keep it light and laugh with these people and stuff. that's the fun part with yeah it. that's what I, that's why i love conversation so much because you can have a serious conversation but the, you can you can have a find the time to have a joke or like make a reference to something and now you're just having a conversation with somebody while also talking about some really serious things and so it's always so fun to be able to do that with people who support the podcast and have that moment of like you know really getting to know the people that listen because like you know we kind of had that that realization for the first time a couple of years ago when we went to Austin, Texas, where it was like, we just do this in, in my house, man. We do this in my house. We don't know who's listening. We don't keep, you know, I don't know. I don't keep track of the numbers and I'm all this. I don't I don't care, right? So when you actually go and meet these people, speak to them over the phone, meet them in person, and you hear them say like, "Love the podcast, been listening, whatever." When you actually see the people who listen. It's like it's just really like eye opening thing, and you get to kind of understand your audience and what those people are like, and haven't had a bad experience yet. Yeah, everybody that we've met is like you're super, you're super cool. Of course, you listen to this podcast. I think that's awesome that you listen to this podcast. Everybody that we've met, spoken to over the phone, everybody has great energy. They're always like 
the funniest, coolest people in the world. And so, yeah, man, thanks to you guys. Like, you guys are always super awesome. Uh, Fran, I don't have much to talk about except I've kept my mouth shut on this for like the last three weeks, but it's finally come to an end. And so I will discuss it for a minute because it was a hell of a circus. And I'll suggest you go down the rabbit hole that I went down. Um, Darrell Brooks, Daryl Brooks. I don't know which one it is, but um, in 2020, I believe it was 2020, Darrell Brooks uh, was in Wisconsin. He was a guy in Wisconsin. He drove through a, like a Christmas parade mm-hmm. with his car. Oh, I remember. He that. killed like six people, injured like seventeen something crazy. His trial started this year, like like a month ago. Mm-hmm. He fired his attorneys and he decided to represent himself as a sovereign citizen. He was like, oh. I'm a sovereign citizen. I'm going to represent myself. It's been four eight. It's been four or six weeks of like the craziest shit you've ever seen in your life. All kinds of outbursts. He's trying to convince people, or he tried to. He was convicted, so it doesn't matter. But he tried to convince people it wasn't him in the car. There was a lot of moments on TikTok that kind of went viral. And I don't think people... I think it was getting lost about what he's on trial for. He killed six people, ran them over. But if you don't recognize that, it is like pretty wild and it's funny to laugh at because he's so bad at... He's trying to represent himself. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. He's almost like the Charlie. It's always funny. It's like Charlie. Like bird, he's like bird law. He's like, yeah. this is, your honor, this isn't bird law. She's like, that's not a, that's not a thing in here. Like, yeah. You, that's, he literally was doing stuff like that. And the judge had to go, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't, you can't just say that. Yeah. He kept saying uh, objection, but he didn't know. Like he just had, he knew like terms that he's seen on television TV, shows. Yeah. So he would, you, he would say them all the time. He, for the, uh, your honor, I want this to be on the record that, uh, that this is not fair. Okay. And what that means is like the record, the record is an outdated term because now there's these trials and stuff are on television. There's cameras cameras in the The record was meant to be like, let the record state that the, uh, the prosecutor just passed someone a pen. Yeah. Things that you can't say. Like it was, the record was meant to keep catch things that can't be, heard right that they're visual it's for the typo right isn't that for the, that's for the stenographer yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. she's supposed yeah, to go uh let it be known that the 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 uh defendant is wiping sweat from his forehead with a with a towel yeah that's what that's what the record is supposed to state he would be like let the record show that um you're wrong judge you're like what the fuck okay. what? but he just knows like six terms yeah. from i don't know csi or law and order or something like that he was awful he took his shirt off at one point it was absolutely the craziest shit you've ever seen yeah. and he was like his interrogation tactics were just insane. It was insane. So for people who want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole of the Darrell Brooks from the interrogation, the, the day he was arrested when he ran through the parade to what's happened, what's happened over the last few weeks, it's all shocking and disturbing. And it's all really like a, a glowing example of narcissism and delusions of grandeur. He thinks he's smarter than everyone when he's dumb as fuck. He's incredibly dumb, but thinks he's smarter than everyone. So he always has this face like, Y'all are doing that wrong. To lawyers that have gone to school and passed yeah. the bar, he's like, y'all don't know what y'all are talking about. This is very illegal what y'all are doing. This is not lawful law. He kept saying that. I don't even know if that's a term. He kept saying that, like, is that lawful law? And the judge, the, come, come, <laughs> listen, my commendations to the judge. The judge kept her composure the whole time, never let her rattle him really, and just let him just be like a crazy child and then, and then go, well, you can't do that. We're going to move on. Yeah. And let him just kind of tire himself out until he was done. He was done. And they convicted him like the same day. The same day the jury went to go deliberate, they came back and were like, yeah, yeah. all the char- all the counts, guilty. Give him everything. On all the charges. So for anybody who wants to go down the Darrell Brooks Road, 
Um, I found it. I found it to be highly entertaining. But of course, rest in peace to all of those people that were killed. He ran over a group of dancing grannies at wow. a parade, bro. Now, what's one thing that is clear is that this dude's nuts. Like yeah. from if you watch that, you, you you understand. Like this is an erratic person. This wasn't a terrorist attack. He just is an idiot and wanted to get out of there or something. And once he hit one person. Or hit somebody, he was like, fuck that, I'm not getting in trouble. And then just stepped on the gas and did what he needed to do to get out of there. That's what I think. His, I don't, his mind wasn't like, fuck these people, whatever. I think his mind was like, he committed a crime. He was trying to get away from that crime. Hit somebody. Ended up, ended up driving into like a parade route and couldn't get around it. So he yeah. tried to go through it. And then as soon as he hit somebody, and people were like, hey, pull the car over there. Banging on the window. He's like, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not getting in trouble. He and he made it worse. Mm. He just kept making it worse. Because he's an idiot. This I don't I wouldn't consider this a terrorist attack. I mean, I, it's not nothing. It wasn't an accident. But this wasn't a I don't think there was malice or there was no premeditation involved. He just is an idiot and a dangerous idiot and he he shouldn't be on the streets ever again. Yeah. Cause he's like, who knows what he's capable of? He hits women. He's just a dangerous person. But this wasn't a an act of domestic terrorism or something. Anyway, uh, let's get into these shout outs. Oh, yeah. It's time for some of those shout outs. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a big fat shout out to Brooke B. Brooke, you be a real MVP up in this piece. I don't know. What do the kids say these days? I have no idea. It's lit. I don't know. Uh, up next, we got Whitney A. Whitney, shout out to you. And I am telling. That's not Whitney Houston. No. Uh, that is not Whitney Houston. Uh, Whitney, hey. I will always love you. Yeah. And, uh, and we will always love you, Whitney. Both you, Whitney A. And Whitney H. Uh, up next, we got Elise, Elise, Alicia, Alicia, Alicia C. Shout out to you, Alicia C. Thank you for signing up to the Patreon. Hope you're enjoying that content over there. Thank you for the support. Uh, after Alicia, we got Rachel C. Hyphen R. Uh, Rachel, uh, see me in these streets and I'll fight you. No, that's aggressive. That's not. We wouldn't uh, we never. Uh we and we'll throw you up and we'll uh party with you till the sun comes down around town, round the mound. I don't know uh, what you're saying. Yeah, I don't either. Up next we got Katie C. Katie C, shout out to you. Much love and appreciation. Thank you for the support. We love you. We think you're great. We think you're fantastic. We love your glasses. Up next we got Linda. Linda, listen. Listen, Linda. Linda, Linda, listen. Linda L, thank you. I think you have, it looks like a business in the front party in the back kind of haircut, and I dig it. Up next, we got Tina B. Tina also B, the queen of Tinas. Would you know that, Fran? Tina's, this Tina right here specifically, queen of all the Tinas. No. Yeah, so shout out to Tina. Tina, in between a rock in a hard place, you never will find yourself there because you are an affirminator for life. So that is nice. not possible to happen to her. Good job. Uh, up next, we got Arlene D. Arlene D. Shout out to you, Arlene. Keep doing your thing out there. Love your name. It's very Southern. I don't know if that means that you are. Probably not. It's just a guess I'm making. But I love your name. I knew a girl in high school named Arlene. She was dating a really tall guy. Hope they made it. Uh, and last, right. <laughs> and lastly, we got Sarah V. Sarah, the V is for very rich because you have money to throw away on content on patreon so shout out to you sarah v and much love and appreciation to you keep doing your thing 
Anyway, Fran, uh, we're going to take a quick break, of course. And when we come back, we're going to get into some fucked up shit. So, uh, hey, everybody. Hey, 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 you, everybody. Hey, stick around. Don't fucking move. All right. And we are back. Fran, my affirmative murder this week starts off with a little bit of a psychological analysis slash like deep dive into some psychology of parasite, which is like when people kill their parents. Mm. And then I'll get into the actual story that I have this week. So, Fran, parasite or the killing of one's mother or father, matricide being the killing of the mother while patricide being the killing of the father okay. is, is pretty uncommon. This type of killing accounts for less than 4% of homicides and 20 to 30% of those homicides are committed by, by psychotic individuals. So only 4% of homicides like every year make are, are, are parasites. But of that 4%, 20 to 30% of those people are, you know, unwell mentally. Mm. Men commit patricide at a six to one ratio compared to women. Patricide committed by sons is the most frequent form of, of parasite. That's the father, right? That's the father. Okay, Statistically, sons who kill their fathers tend to be younger than those who kill their mothers. Mm. The average age of a matricide offender is around 30 years old. So like you live with your mom, like a George Costanza type mm. from Seinfeld, like except both his parents live there, but like a mama's boy type of yeah. situation. Like you live home with your mom. She, it's, a, it's an unhealthy kind of codependency type mm. of thing. And then sometimes those people accompanied with mental health issues can snap and be, that unhealthy relationship with their mother can turn violent. Yeah. So, uh, parasites can be classified into two categories, psychotic and reactive parasites. Some stressors of a reactive parasite can be a response to severe family dysfunction, a hostile dependency relationship with the victim. For example, you live off your parents, but feel entitled to the things that they provide you. And if that is ever threatened in any kind of way, obviously conflict is sure to arise. Mm -hmm. So you feel you feel like your parent should take care of you. Yeah. And the moment they, I don't know, a stepbrother type of situation, I'm getting married. There's a new person in my life now. You need to find a new place. Yeah. But you, I'm entitled to the free rent you give me and the food and everything. You can't take that away from me. I'm angry at you now. And that can turn out violent sometimes. That, and obviously in a, in a comedic way, stepbrothers, stepbrothers was... Yeah. The comedic version of that. But yeah. in real life, if that happened, the brothers or the two sons are fighting each other. It was violent. Yeah. It was a comedic umbrella. But like that happens every day in ways, parasites and stuff that happens. And it's not funny. But in, in the stepbrother's case, hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. So funny. Boats and hoes. Anyway, <laughs> so psychotic parasite stressors feel pretty obvious. Uh, delusions of ill will towards the victim or that are brought on by psychotic illness. For example, a 25-year-old man battling schizophrenia and paranoid delusions, living with his parents, who had no prior criminal history, killed his mother and father. At the time of the killings, he was off his medication. Now, again, that, was, I, that wasn't an anecdote. That was an anecdotal story, I guess, but it was a real thing that happened. I just didn't use any of the details, but like, that's an example of a thing that can happen that would make, that is an example of uh, 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 a psychotic parasite. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a guy, who, a guy who just is off his medication has delusions and paranoid delusions and schizophrenia, and it manifested itself in a dark way. That happens sometimes. That's why people, you know, we got we to gotta, listen. Mental health is a real thing, and, and, I, and I'm very empathetic towards mental health as, as well, but you have to regulate your mental health. It's your responsibility to take care of your mental health. That's why a rapper who I will not be naming because he's just has ruined his legacy to me at this point is running around. In what is clearly a manic episode, and there's no excuse for the things that he's saying, but 
when when do we sit when do we sit back as a society and say, "Hey man, this guy's sick." Yeah. Like there is but at the same time, it is it is that person's responsibility to regulate their mental health yes. with medication. Yes. So where does the empathy end and the like responsibility begin where it is okay to you know to scold this person and, and like uh, denounce this person's actions, even if you recognize that it's because of their mental health problems, but it is your, it's your responsibility to regulate those at the same time. So it's like, it's this weird balance where it's like, he's sick, but it's like, yeah, he's sick, but he's not taking his medication. And sometimes bad things can happen. So, you know, I'm not a mental health expert and you know, but that's just my, that's my opinion on the matter. So there are theories about the combining factors that cause reactive parasite. From a psychoanalytical perspective, the theory is that it comes from a lethal combination of sexual and homicidal impulses. So we'll, I'll get into more of that in a little bit later. Uh, from a nurture perspective, the theory is that it's a lethal combination of severe abuse and social isolation. A perfect example of this is Gypsy Rose Blanchard, who participated in the murder of her mother, Dee Dee, after years and years of horrible psychological abuse and manipulation on Dee Dee's end. Mm -hmm. So you remember that story, right? Yeah. Mommy, Dead, and Dears. Yeah. Uh, that was, I think that's a textbook example of like a factor in the nurture category that could lead to a patricide, like you've been, or to a parasite, where you've been abusing your child so poorly that they break. Like they need, they need to escape from you, and that's the way that they choose to do it. So that's a very wild story, but like, I feel like anybody who watched that kind of goes, I mean, yeah, no, you shouldn't kill people, but she made her pretend to be have cancer and do make a wish scams. Yeah. It's, it's like, she, I mean, she was pretty terrible. Like, what she did to that girl is horrible. So almost in a way you kind of understand it a little bit. Why well, it's like, it's like I had all I could take. I can't take any more. I, yeah. I got to get out of here. So, but of course murder's wrong. Another thing that comes to mind for a lot of people in this discussion is the Oedipus complex, which can be described as a combination of drives, relations, fears, and identifications that manifest from age three to six, but persist throughout their entire life, uh, which are broadly used to designate a triangular relationship between the child and his or her parents. The child fears retaliation for the forbidden incestuous and parasitical wishes. So basically the Oedipus complex is you have a really uncomfortable, inappropriate relationship with your mother or father. Typically mother, though. Typically it's boys with their mothers. You're in love with your mother. Uh, you, but you might not know that you are. You just, you just feel like, me and my mom are super close. Yeah. And that, that's what this is. There's a really good Jonah Hill movie that is the Oedipus Complex, like perfectly depicted on film. It's, it's such a funny movie. It's called Cyrus. It's, it's Jonah Hill. John C. Riley and Marissa Tomei is Jonah Hill's mom, and John C. Riley meets Marissa Tomei at a party, and they hit it off. And then, but she never wants to come. She never wants him to come to her house. He, she always comes to his house, and her schedule's weird. Like they only see each other like once a week. So then, one day, like a weirdo, he like gets her address and goes to her house to surprise her because he thinks she might be married and have a secret family. Yeah. And it turns out she just has like a twenty-seven-year-old son, mm. and he still lives at home, and he's like a DJ. Yeah. And he's like. The reason she doesn't bring people home is because he acts weird and drives all her boyfriends away because oh, okay. he has this weird like yeah. relationship with his mom. So it's funny. Again, it's a funny example, but it is really good to, for people who really want to see the Oedipus complex played out in like a modern, funny type, type of way. Really interesting. So Cyrus. So again, like I said, with the Oedipus complex and, you know, the inappropriate relationships, basically what happens is something chemically or socially happens at a young age that bastardizes a child's understanding of the relationship boundaries of their parents 
being their mother or father, which leads to a host of problems for the rest of their lives. Like this thing can happen at such an early age, whether you see your mom naked or you see your mom having sex or you see your dad doing something or something. And it happens at such a weird young age that you have, you're dealing with it for the rest of your life. Like it just twists, something changes in your brain yeah. and it never snaps back. Like you'll always have this weird relationship and dynamic with a parent mm. and it can never be readjusted because something weird happened at a young age. So the triangular dynamic I referred to just a little bit ago can be an attachment to your mother that is subconsciously sexual in nature, which causes a rivalry with your father or vice versa. So sometimes the Oedipus complex can cause a, a, a boy to kill their father or even just get in fights. Let's keep it on that end. Like you always have the, your, you and your dad are always bumping heads because you're like, that's my girl. Yeah. Even if you don't mean it that way, you, knowingly, mm. you know, you're like, that's my mom. Right. But it's like a, a territorial type of thing. So you and your dad are going to bump heads like Rams because he's like, that's my girl. And you're like, no, that's my girl. Very weird. Yeah, weird. Very weird and unhealthy. So in studying this topic, I learned that there's a thing called the Ortesis complex, which I think most people know the dynamic that I just described of the Oedipus complex, but this is actually the reverse. The Ortesis complex is essentially the opposite of the Oedipus complex in which an ambivalent and excessive attachment to the mother fueled by hate and dependency may be transformed into a matricidal rage. Um, a Wortham study claimed that matricidal men used excessive violence. So basically, uh, men who suffer from the ortesis, uh, or from the ortesis complex, which again is like all of the same attachment issues, but you can't stand your mom, but you're never going to go anywhere. You're almost like, she fucking needs something again, but you live in her mm -hmm. basement. You can't stand when she calls your name. You, she, whenever you, she needs you to do something, it's like always, why don't, why don't you know how to hook up the DVR? Jeez. Why don't you know how to do this? But you're, you're attached to each other. She makes Damn you dinner yeah. every night, but every night you complain that you don't yeah, like yeah, the, what yeah. she cooks. That, the, study, the study concluded that men who have that kind of issue commit, when they commit the violent act against a parent, it's like the most violent. Because yeah. it's all this, yes. Yeah. Man, how dare you? Yeah, it's like it's your mom. Sandwich, and, yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, there's no mayonnaise on this. But she, but you want her to, but you're gonna ask her to make you a sandwich again, right? Or not even, you might not even just ask. You just expect it. You expect her to make you a sandwich well, and fix it. Yeah. yeah, and then you hate it. That's crazy. And you live in her basement, and you ask her for money. You can leave. You can leave. You can leave. In almost all reported cases of psychotic and reactive parasites, the offender is dependent on the victim on the victim who is the parent. So like I said, living in the basement, so, so on and so forth. In some cases, the dependence is because of a debilitating illness. And in other cases, the dependence is because of a pathological family dynamic. So sometimes like they live at home because they, they can't help it. Like they can't survive on their own, you know, that which is understandable. But other times it's like this is just an unhealthy relationship and years and years of weird nurturing and seeing abuse happen and poverty forces you to have to stay home with your parent. So all of that stuff I just ha have just said, keep in mind all those things I just said. I know I just said a lot of things, but just try to keep in mind the general outline of a lot of things that I said, because all of that has led me to the story of Omar Pettigen. On a fall night in 2015, Sal Pettigen made a phone call to Northern California police from New Mexico after he hadn't heard from his ex-wife and their son as he normally did. So they would call him often, just kind of check in and stuff. And he, he was waiting on a scheduled call and the, the phone call never came in. So he, he lives in New, New Mexico. His family lives in Northern California. So he calls the police to say, hey, can I, can I get like a wellness check? Because my family's supposed to call me 
and I haven't gotten the phone call. Yeah. So he places that phone call, and the officers, uh, you know, go to the home that he says that they're at, and you know, for this wellness check or whatever. And the officers in Fremont, in the in the Fremont area, stopped by for a wellness check and found one of the bloodiest crimes in the city's history. Mm-hmm. Nalia Pettigen, a 64 year old retired special education teacher who had taught at American High School in Fremont, was found dead in her Fremont home. Her head and torso was shot through multiple times. Mm. She also had an axe wound to her head, and her heart was placed on top of her open chest. What? Yeah. The bed was soaked with blood, and there were splatters all over the walls and footprints around her body. So he shot her multiple times, hit her in the head with an axe, and took her heart out. Took her heart out, and then put it on her chest. Wow. Keep all that in mind. Overkill. So the axe, two knives, and gun that the authorities think nice. were used. Yeah, there were two knives. Oh, because it hurt. Yeah. Uh, that, so they, the, the, the detectives thinks, think all these things were used in the killing and the subsequent mutilation were found near the woman's body. So all the tools of her de- destruction and her murder were just kind of dropped after they were used around her. So after police discovered the body, they reviewed security cam footage from the area and interviewed Omar Pettigen's friends. They quickly identified him as a suspect and launched a manhunt to find him. Mm. Omar had recently returned from a trip to Morocco, where he was for a few months. In an interview with police after he was captured, Pettigen said that he also had lived in Korea for two years and once uh, lived and worked on a marijuana farm in Northern California. So this guy's kind of wanderlust. He's... You know, finding himself, traveling the world, whatever the fuck, whatever. So the story apparently goes, according to witnesses, that Omar had stopped by his mother's house the day before her killing. And he was found in Kensington, California, on October 4th, about a week after her killing. So people saw him go into her home the day before she was found dead. Mm. And then he was found. Then the manhunt is, on, you know, initiated and he's found like a week later in kensington california now i don't know what that is in relation to fremont and kensington is how far that is but that's what he he went from fremont to kensington while he was on the run in between the slaying and his arrest authorities say peddington pettigen booked a plane ticket to chicago but never showed up to the airport instead fran he checked into a hotel in san francisco where he left a bloody shirt and had drinks with a friend in the area After the dinner with a friend, he gave the server at the restaurant that they were at a Band-Aid box filled with $1,300 in cash. According to court documents, he told her, I think you deserve this. Don't worry. It's not (laughs) Band-Aids. Nice. And then she opened it up and it was $1,300 in it. So this guy's manic depressive. I mean, this, this guy's out of his mind. He has a plane ticket to escape. He just committed a murder. And instead of doing that, he drove to San Francisco, yeah. went to dinner with a friend, and then gave $1,300 to a stranger. That he probably stole. That he probably stole from his mom, but could have used to go on the run. Like, he clearly is, like, in a, in a mania. So court documents say that Pettigen admitted to killing his mother and then masturbating in an adjacent room. Keep in mind all the things what? I just talked about. Keep in mind all the things I just talked about as far as parasite goes and matricide and the Oedipus complex and all of these things. So he probably was, whether knowingly or unknowingly, in love with his mother in some kind of way, and the murder was a substitute for having sex with his mother. 
Wow. The stabbing, wow. The, the, the violence on his That's mother crazy. was probably sexual to him. And so he went and masturbated after the act was done because he was so, he had never felt a feeling like that before. He, he probably, I mean, like, think about it. His dad lives in New Mexico, so they clearly divorced. So it just was him and his mom. Mm-hmm. They, he, had, he probably suffers from the Oedipus complex in the worst possible way. Yeah. Or maybe in the other one that I said, the, uh, the Orestes complex, where he hates his mom. But that energy still, the obsession and the yeah. the unhealthy attachment is still there, but it's angry. That's nuts. Oh, super nuts. Big time nuts. But I'm th- uh, think about the kind of nuts that comes along with the violence I just described. Yeah. You know, this isn't some guy that, this, that was an incredibly violent act that he committed. This wasn't a one shot emotional argument, made a mistake, and then, you know, whatever. That was like overkill to the, it was the most violent. And, and the, the thing I said that people that suffer from the Oestis complex, typically are the most violent. Yeah. So, like I said, after he masturbated, he showered, packed a bag, and walked out, but didn't lock the door. According to Pettigen, he expected to get caught. Why did he bring the shirt? That's a good question. Maybe he didn't want to leave evidence behind, Hmm. but he left the door unlocked, and he's saying he expected to get caught. But again, that could be his arrogance and like, oh, I knew y'all were going to catch me, so I left the door unlocked on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, people are... He's That's sick. why he gave all the money away. He's leaving a trail of evidence all over the place. Yeah, maybe he's just like, I don't have the energy to run, so. So I'll just go get drinks with a friend, and they'll catch me when they catch me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lay this here, just like lay it out nicely on the bed. Yeah, that's crazy. For room service to find? Um, yeah, for housekeeping to find? So Omar Pettigen testified that he remembered stopping by and taking a shower at his mother's Fremont home, and then the voices told him that he needed to kill his mother. All right. He then took a hammer and an axe from the wall and accused his mother of being the witch of Josephine Baker, who was like a jazz singer. I don't know Josephine what? Baker's big hit, but he accused her of being the witch, not the ghost, the witch of Josephine Baker, who again, hmm. jazz singer. I don't know Josephine Baker. Once you said voices, I'm like, all right, well, this, we yeah, know yeah, he's this guy's. Yeah, this guy's, this guy's delusional. So the voices, he said that he said that he believed that he needed to kill his mother before she killed him because the voices told him she was a threat to him in some kind of way. She was planning on killing him. So he acted first and violently, incredibly violently. So he went into detail about how he first hit her over the head with the hatchet and then pulled her off, off the bed onto the floor, onto her stomach. I wish there was a way that when, when we hear people say the voices in their head, Find out if that's if it's is, is it an actual voice? Oh, or is it just in? Well, I mean, I hear a voice in my head, like my conscience. Do you hear like is there like an an a dialogue in your head throughout the yeah, day? Yeah, but so but I guess it's not it's telling a, me. To I guess do to anything. a different extent, I guess is is different. Okay, all right, all right. So I understand. <laughs> There's not multiple voices in my head, and my voice is just usually like it's you, man. I can't believe this guy. But it's you slam the brakes. Yeah, it's me. Well, I feel it's like not a different it's person. somebody else. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly right. Yeah, but I mean, like, I wish there was a way we can, like, if studying in the brain, we can uh-huh. go, oh, yeah, this person definitely had voices that pushed them to do It could be. I don't things. know. That's not a road I've gone down much. As much as we say the word schizophrenia and stuff, I'm, I've never done any type of, like, real research to see if there's studies that have shown that it's something that's, like, detectable. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though if you, what happens is you give somebody, like, a, psycho, a psychological evaluation, and I kind of just think, you can tell like, oh, I believe this person yeah. is really hearing things. Because, I mean, you hear most crazy people say that. Mm-hmm. 
but a is voice, it, a demon. But, right, but demon. is it like, is that just like a, they're trying to use that as some type of bailout? Like an excuse? I think that that, ha- that happens like for they, sure, but there are definitely people who hear voices. It's both. And sometimes people will use that as a defense in doing some kind of crime or something like that. So both things happen. But I, there are 100% people who really do hear things and they fight the urge every day. That's what schizophrenia is. They fight the urge every day to not listen to that voice and or see the things that they're seeing. and It's crazy. Even they not, some of them, people are not killing people, though. No, for sure. Most yeah. people... Right. Most people, that's why this is, and this happens, sometimes people message me and stuff and they say, hey, you were, ta- you were talking about a thing and you said, like, this guy probably has schizophrenia. And I'm not saying all schizophrenic people are violent and murderous and stuff like that, but sometimes it happens, you know? Yeah. But most people are not. But the ones that do are loud, though. It's, it's Very loud. loud. It's and that's loud. why, because we have those ones that have done it. Yeah. And we, we just stick to those. We gravitate yeah. to those ones. For sure. But, but there I plenty, mean, yeah, there are plenty of schizophrenic people who don't commit right. acts of violence. They, yeah. they take their medication and they're perfectly pe- people that are walking past you in society. You wouldn't even know that they have, they're suffering from schizophrenia or delusions or paranoid delusions or any of those things. But sometimes people who commit murders happen to also suffer from those afflictions as well. Hearing voices, seeing things and stuff like that. Whether there's a, but a, correlation doesn't always equal causation. So just because you have schizophrenia doesn't mean that you will kill people. But sometimes people kill people, and some of the things that exacerbated the killing may have been that they had schizophrenia. Also, but it's raises, not the direct cause. It also raises another question. Please. So, if this person does have schizophrenia, uh-huh. his voice is in their head. What if they? What if they wasn't in this category of a? What is it called? The uh, oh, like the Oedipus complex. That. Uh huh. So what if? What if that wasn't in play? How does it? How does that still? you know, push him to do something like this. But I'm saying maybe it doesn't. Maybe if he doesn't, it's a compound. Right. Like maybe if he doesn't have this this weird dynamic with his mom, this unhealthy relationship with his mom, that that maybe exacerbates the schizophrenia. Hmm. It's like compounding factors is what I'm thinking. Like maybe if he just, you know, had schizophrenia and was on his medication, which he might have not even had been taking medication for his, for his issues. Yeah. He, I don't even, I wouldn't even officially say this guy has schizophrenia. He just is saying he heard a voice. While he was taking a shower, and, his, and that could just be—I don't know—it hmm. could, could be bullshit, or he could actually have schizophrenia undiagnosed and never was taking medication for it. That's the key. Like you need to—if you—if you're hearing voices, you need to go get, go talk to somebody, so you can get on the proper medications and talk to the right people to help you. Hearing voices that are not like again, when I say I hear a voice, it's me, like you said, right? It's me talking to myself in my head. I know I've, I've seen so many like videos on YouTube and TikToks and stuff where this people, two people will have this conversation and be like, I don't hear that. So I always find that interesting when I, sometimes people go, oh no, I'm just walking around all day silent. Like there's nothing happening. And I'm like, that's crazy. Cause in my head, I'm like, man, duh, what does this text message mean? Oh, should I call this person? Yeah, I haven't yeah, talked to this person yeah. in a long time, but it's all happening up here, but it's me. It's not somebody being like, you should call them and cuss them out. And I'm like, no brain. That's not Maybe it's just works. a level of consciousness you should, you're supposed to have. That some people don't have ways it's like no I don't I hear nothing I hear nothing and that's it's crazy like to me. or maybe it's because I was like an only child it's just hollow probably you know because that's just, how I, was. I needed yeah. somebody to talk to yeah talk to myself exactly yeah and I have done that too I will talk to myself out loud oh absolutely yeah I'll be in here having a good time. with some drink yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hit the drink like damn shit's good try like, this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't know. No. That's great. No, no. <laughs> I was thinking it out like, what's with this? <laughs> Damn, I think that's melon. You want some of this? Just alone in a house. No, that's no, no that's, that's the that's the line. Yeah. I didn't do that. I just was like trying to keep myself entertained. That's the issue. <laughs> 
My man, these these are damn, damn, these are good. These are good. These peanuts are good as hell. You want some of these? <laughs> nope. They, the, the the camera pans out. You just a, like a big ass empty room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't do all of that. So I said, like I said, I was saying he how he went into detail during his trial about how you know he attacked his mom and pulled her off the bed onto her stomach while she was uh, still breathing. He shot her five times in the back to make sure she was dead. Uh, those are his words exactly. Um, and then he took two knives from the kitchen, stabbed her multiple times in the chest, and then slit her open from her throat to her stomach, and then pulled her heart out and held it in his hands before putting it back onto her body. Since he pleaded not guilty by reason of its insanity, the case also had a sanity phase in which his defense presented evidence about his mental state, such as his medical record and examinations conducted by a psychiatrist. In July of 2019, Omar Pettigin was convicted of second-degree murder of his mother, Nalia Pettigin, and he's still in prison in Northern California to this day. Um, and I don't know how long he will be there, but I would imagine he's under some kind of psychological restriction where he probably will be in prison for the rest of his life, even though it was oh, second-degree murder. Like, yeah. you know, um, that's just my guess anyway. I don't know the, the specifics of his sentencing. But, uh, yeah, that was a matricide. And that was a little background in Parasite uh, before telling you guys about Omar Pettigin. Uh, I'm really, that was, this one was really interesting to me in the psychology of it. And it was just a wild story. So, yeah. But, yeah, that was my affirmative murder. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's Fran's turn to tell you guys some fucked up shit. So stick around. Welcome back. It's my turn to go. My affirmative murder this week is about the story of Adrian Dennis. Mm. So on the late night Saturday of uh, June fourth, um, or the early morning, or the early morning hours of Sunday, June fifth, Adrian Dennis and Leroy Anderson decided to go to the bar and meet some chicks. Nice, how that goes, man. Yeah. Anderson spoke of robbing somebody, mm. and the pair armed themselves with weapons. So. That's not what I when, <laughs> I, when I go out to, to look for chicks. meet some chicks, but they, let's go rob some people yeah. as well. Before. If we can't get any of the chicks. We'll go rob we'll people. Rob people. So maybe, Dennis maybe equipped. We'll rob the chicks. Yeah, man. So Dennis equipped a sawed-off shotgun. Oh, that's too, that's, that's violent. And Anderson got a, 20, a 25 caliber handgun. As the pair made the stroll to the bar, the shotgun, according to Dennis, accidentally went off. Dennis then reloaded the weapon. Now on no, their, one, no one was on harmed. Their, no one was harmed. On their way to their little stroll to the, the bar, the gun went off Missed somehow, fire. which is a, a shotgun nobody got hit, which is, he didn't get hit, which is crazy. crazy. Yeah, his leg wasn't blown off. Right. He reloaded, he reloaded it, made sure it was cocked, put it back in his pants. I don't know where he was. I don't know, I don't know how you physically hide a shotgun. At all. <laughs> and then and like how it goes off and you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, so, but he reloaded just in case. And, you know, they can continue their stroll to, to the bar. Like, you would think his pants got blown out. Like, the ass is out of the Maybe pants. he has shorts on. Ooh. Then the bullets just shoot out of the opening of the But if you have shorts on, why do you, like, he had maybe he had some shorts? Some long yeah, shorts, like, some capris yeah. or something? Or, like, those pants, those kids that do Dance Dance Revolution at the movie theaters wear with all the chains and stuff on them. Probably, yeah, the gothic type pants? Yeah, those, those types chains of pants. chains and shit on them? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could hide a sword off in those for Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. But how, but how are you not comfortable, though? Like, what is holding it up? 
You do you have a, a holster like some type some type of shotgun holster? Maybe or something? he's wearing like a sexy girdle underneath, like with like th- thigh straps and stuff. Maybe yeah, he, he would have to have a couple on to hold. Yeah, a shotgun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Maybe he had an itch. I have no idea. Yes, yeah, something. He w- it didn't. He was fiddling with the gun. Probably shooting it in the sky. Yeah, or he, something. Or he something. just was like, no, you know, I got it on me. You know, just to make sure people know I keep it on me. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, Adrimi, whatever the guy's name is, yeah, he's talking shit, yeah. touching it, and he fucking accidentally hit this probably trigger by accident. It didn't just go off. No. So again, the, the shotgun accidentally went off. Dennis, again, he re- reloaded the gun. Uh huh. So before they arrived at the bar, they smoked smoked a little bit of weed. Uh huh. One of them nights out, a little gun. Yeah, smoked a little bit of weed. But what they did was mm-hmm. let's spice it up a bit. Let's get let's make it a little intense. Ooh, okay. Dip it in some embalming fluid. Nah, that's crazy. Dip it in there. Sherman Hemsley. Drinking some forties, you know, some malt, some of that malt liquor. Some of that malt liquor. Uh, and you know, old English, which is you know, O E. Pop was popular back then. Sure. Saint Odds was that was one. very popular back then. And um, or Colt forty five. I'm Billy D Williams. Won't you like to have a nice cold glass of Colt 45 malt liquor? Mm-mm. That's smooth. I'm Lando Calrissian. Yeah. Billy D. Williams, man. The voice is, ugh. It's like butter. It is. I'm, it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm Billy D. Williams. All right, enough. So here we go. So do you know the effects that you can get from, you know, dipping anything <laughs> besides <laughs> dipping anything and dipping anything in a fluid, fluid yeah. besides getting faded what are some of the negatives that, you, that euphoric feeling sure uh-huh. you know that's the result that cloud nine oh this is sure this is great brain hemorrhaging what are the bads are there some bads uh, on there adrenaline rush that sounds great feeling detached from reality love it self delusion like a like superhuman strength oh yeah where are you, where's that, the man. negative where's the negatives man I don't, I, you, i'm not here making, i'm not here to do that you're making me want to dip some embalming fluid in a chester cheeto i'm right not here now. To, i'm not here to to bash okay some of your weed sprinkle some embalming fluid. fluid into a bag of cheetos go, ahead. go to Why town not? but there are some negatives okay the violent and aggressive behavior that's not good reduce ability to feel pain I mean, hey, uh, that's, that depends. Blackouts or memory loss. That's not good at all. Um, impaired coordination. No, not with a gun. Respiratory depression or failure. No, that's not good at all as well. Uh, schizophrenic-like symptoms, including yeah. paranoia and delusion. Mm-mm. And accidental suicide, self-injury due to delusional thinking. Okay, so no. So then, never mind. I'm good. Hey, man, Davis is trying to have a good, good time. We got our 40s. Both hands. They had like a forty hat, so it was eighty. They had eighty. Or the I'm number one hat. Yeah, man. Two, with the two, the two straws slots for the forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is damn the eighty hat getting lit, super lit. Where yeah. do you think you just get embalming fluid from? Damn, you gotta have a plug next? on that. You gotta, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got a plug on that. Absolutely. You got the, the you got the bomb. You got the yeah. bomb. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> got it. Come come come, scoop. <laughs> so after a couple drinks. Uh, Anderson and Dennis left the bar and encountered a man in an alley near West Market Street and South Highland Avenue. Now, I'm guessing the chick the chick plan fell through. Fell through. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, well. Planned. Well, they're all like hallucinating and walking up to girls saying absolute nonsense. Their girl's like, oh, get away from me. You're sweaty. <laughs> and yeah. they, they push him away. They're like, I can't even feel that. Oh, no. They touched me. I can't even feel it. Yeah. And so they probably were like, these girls are lame. Let's go rob. Let's go rob. Got this. I don't wasted uh, a bullet on the shotgun. Yeah. Oh, I'm not wasting another one. 
The taller one of the two, whom the man later identified as Dennis, was wearing a long black leather coat and told him, give me your money and don't try to run. You're going to die tonight. I'm running. That's, I mean, if you tell me that, I'm running. I might as well, well, you know, play my chance. I might as well try to run. Absolutely. Yeah. The victim testified he he started walking backwards. Uh Uh-huh. Right? And this is a great, this is, you know, this, what I'm about to say, this is the, uh, a great situation of uh, knowing your surroundings and, like, being very quick-witted. Yeah. On, like, Thinking okay, fast. I need to, I need to do these things. Yes. He walked backwards. What I thought was, he said, he slid down a hill. Meaning, from, to me, uh-huh. how this story excites me, he's, he just threw himself, he threw himself down, down a hill. hill. To get out of the situation. To get out of the situation. Sure. He slid, and, uh, slid down the hill, then ran away unharmed. He, he did hear gunshots as he was running. But you can't hit something twirling and tumbling at that rapid rate of speed. Right. So he did say he did hear gunshots uh, while he was running. One hit, well, he felt one left to the left side of him that mm. hit a trash can or something that was Oof. near him. That same night, Kurt Kyle had a fun day at the racetrack in Barberton Speedway. And afterward, he hosted several friends over his house, you know, full of, full of get-together. Uh-huh. You know, him, family members, and stuff like that. Sure. Later, one of the guests, mm-hmm. Martin Eberhardt, was leaving. Kyle walked him to his car, as a good friend would do. Yes. Where the two continued chatting for a bit. When Martin was seated in his car talking with Kyle, they heard a loud noise, which Kyle told the guests that, you know, that was, that was gunshots that uh-huh. he just heard. About three minutes later... Two black males approached them in the driveway. Uh-huh. Out of the view of the guests, they, they walked to, you know, to his car, yeah. Martin's car, so there was people at the party couldn't see what was going on. Right. Caught him slipping somehow. Yep. So Martin later identif- identified Anderson and mentioned he was wearing a green and orange Miami Hurricane starter jacket and demanded money while pointing the gun at Martin. It's a really dumb jacket to be robbing people in. It's Bright colored. <laughs> yeah. Orange and green jacket. Yep. So again, he he uh, demanded money from him while pointing the gun at Mr. Martin's neck. Mm. So he slowly reached under the seat for his wallet and handed Anderson fifteen dollars. At the same time, Dennis, whom Martin described as wearing a long three-quarter length dark coat, asked Kyle for money. However, Kyle searched through his pockets and told Dennis, "Hey, man, I don't have I don't have any money on me." Yeah. Dennis then pulled out the sawed-off shotgun that he was carrying around, shot Kyle in the head, point-blank range. Oh, wow. Kyle died instantly of, you know, blood, just your blood loss. Yeah. Due to the gunshot wound. So according to the witnesses, the two assailants ran away, sprinting very fast. Mm. I don't know if they, and that, this was when, this was in the article high. I read, and I don't, know, I don't know if this was like a, this was an old lady that said this, I think. The old lady that was out. A woman that was out walking her dog. They was they was pretty fast. Oh, was racing like races. Because they was black, they could run fast. Like the wind. <laughs> Never seen anything move so fast. Right. That's true. What they say that the extra bone in their foot. <laughs> right. I've never seen people move that fast. So according to witnesses, two assailants ran away together, sprinting very fast. Mm-hmm. A woman who lived in the neighborhood was out walking her dog around 1:30 a.m. that morning and heard a loud pop type of sound. About a minute later. She observed two young black males headed in the opposite direction, running by her on the other side of Bloomfield Road. She heard one of them say, did you get it? So a few days after the murder, 
Akron police received an anonymous phone call stating that someone at 371 Grand Avenue knew about the homicide that past weekend. The detectives went to the address where they met where they met Anderson's mother and told her that a possible suspect was staying at her house. Mm. So she invited the t- detectives in, gave them permission to look around uh, the house and to speak with her son, 17-year-old Leroy Anderson. Mm. 17 years old. 17. When the detectives went downstairs in the basement, they noticed the Miami Hurricanes jacket, right a there. long, dark overcoat, hanging up in the corner on a bed rail. We At that it. time, yep, they took Anderson into custody and provided detectives information about the location of the murder weapon. So they went in there and they was like, this shit was easy. Yeah. All they needed to see. Because it's so easy to... Miami Hurricanes jacket. To be like, oh, he definitely, he had on a Miami Hurricanes starter jacket. So after obtaining a search warrant, police seized several items from the basement, including two coats, mm-hmm. 25 caliber pearl handle handgun, oh. a 20 gauge sawed off shotgun. Those are both the weapons. And seven shotgun shells. Mm-hmm. Upon completing the search of Anderson's home, detectives received a call from two officers at 120 Burton Avenue, which was in the same general neighborhood. The police surrounded the house on Burton and eventually apprehended Adrian Dennis. At the police station, Dennis was advised of his Miranda rights, which he waived. Dennis told several versions as to his whereabouts on June 4th and 5th of 1994 to detectives. After Dennis, after Dennis's second statement, the officers produced a sawed-off shotgun, which Dennis immediately claimed was his own. Mm. Okay. In his fourth statement to detectives, Dennis admitted that he and Anderson had planned some robberies that night and admitted to robbing, robbing, robbing the first man at gunpoint and Kyle and his guests. However, while Dennis admitted aiming the sawed-off shotgun at Kyle, he also claimed the gun went off accidentally. Mm. During interrogations, Dennis agreed to allow detectives to tape his statement. In his tape statement, Dennis said that he and Anderson had smoked marijuana, then drank at a bar before the robberies and murder. Mm-hmm. While Dennis admitted he fired the sawed-off shotgun three times that night. Once so was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right, because the first one, right. So he swore that each shot was accidental and that he could barely focus. Man, the dude was high out of his mind. Yeah. He was high out of his mind. But even the other two, if, if they were accidents, you were like, we're aiming them at people's faces yes. and stuff. Yep. Yeah, so he said he could barely focus. When they came upon Kyle and his party guests, after shooting Kyle, Dennis claimed he almost fell down and that Anderson had to help him flee the scene. I guess that's just some little extra shit he tried to put in there. I don't know how that helped his case, but... I'm a good guy. I'll never leave my friends behind. <laughs> so yellow shotgun, yellow shotgun shell casings were found a few days after the murder. One was found in the area where the first man was confronted, which was the alley when he rolled down the hill. Yes. The other was discovered in front of Kyle's home in a forensic test with the BCI, which is the, bar- the Bureau of Criminal Investigation and Invest. Yeah, yeah. The forensic scientist with the BCI, which is the Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation, determined that the two casings were fired from the shot- sawed-off shotgun that Dennis identified as his own. Mm. So... They go into trial. So they went into trial with uh, that had concerns 
if Dennis received a fair trial with unbiased jury of his peers. So before Mr. Dennis's trial, uh-huh. when potential jurors are questioned for possible biases, four potential jurors were released due to moral concerns about the death penalty. Mm. But one potential juror who had been a victim of violent crime was allowed to stay. Okay. So the defense attorneys are particularly... Damn. So defense attorneys are particularly... Particularly. How you say it? Particularly. Particularly. Yeah. Particularly. Particularly. All right. Mm -hmm. So defense attorneys are particularly. Let me. I can't say that. Just say the the defense attorneys are very particular. Very particular. Okay. So the defense. That's going to take some maneuvering, though. It's like very particular in or very particular with. Defense attorneys are very particular with concerns that the prosecutors used there were defense attorneys were very because this is a thing that they were so defense attorneys were very particular with their concerns that works particular with with their concerns their concerns about so on and so forth or whatever concerns that the prosecutors used there okay that's so the defense attorneys were particular with their concerns that the prosecutors used their peremptory challenge, which is the ability to remove any potential juror without cause. Mm. So they removed two African-American potential jurors. Mr. Dennis is African-American. Yes. And the oh, man okay. he is accused of murdering is white. So they removed, the, the prosecution removed the African-American jurors. Yes. A fun fact is, you know, two, 209 death row inmates in Ohio 106 were African-Americans, right? Yeah. 49 are imprisoned for murdering a white person. Even though blacks and whites are, are murder victims in nearly equal numbers of crimes, 80% of people executed since the death penalty was reinstated have been executed for murders involving white victims. Mm. More than 20% of black defendants who have been executed were convicted by all white jurors. Mm. So that's why he was going in and saying, like, you know, did he have a fair trial? A fair trial. I, I'm definitely seeing signs where he, he could make that argument. In a recent law symposium on race and execution, the followings were reported. Race of victim discrimination remains a significant factor in sentencing. Defendants, defendants with white victims are at significantly higher risk of being sentenced to death and executed then our defense defendants whose victims are black, Asian, or Hispanic. Mm. We've seen that. We've yeah. seen that before. It's not new. So there was a project that they was working on, and they uh, they found that you know the death sent the death sentence were more than twice as common with five or more white male jurors as compared to those with four or fewer. So death sentences were far less common in cases with one or more African American male jurors as compared to those with no black male jurors. Whites were seven times more likely than blacks to vote for death. Mm. So the study found that white jurors of both genders are much less receptive to mitigating evidence than black jurors. Black male jurors were significantly more likely than others to imagine themselves in a situation of the defendant's family. That's, yeah, 
they can't relate. You think that's accurate? Yeah. I yeah. feel like as much you're like, that's a monster. I can't relate. Yeah. I don't see my kids in this person. Yeah. Where if it was a white person killing a white person in the same violent way, they in the defendant, they might see a nephew or a mm. loved one or something, but it's easier to go, this is a monster. I can't relate to this person. This person's evil. Right. And yeah. they don't look like you. Exactly. That's the argument yeah. and think lesser crimes than murder. Like right. l- leniency in courts. We talk, like I've talked about you where it's like, I don't like that judges are able to kind of like decide how harsh and not yeah. harsh it happened in the Jeffrey be. Dahmer and, uh, and Jeffrey uh, Dahmer yeah. Brock Turner it happens all the time because if you look at a person and you see somebody who who they look like that you have a personal relationship with that you know isn't a bad person right then you see the best in this person yep so yeah that, t- that makes total sense yep so they said that jurors are jurors who are not African-American have difficulty empathizing with African-Americans social histories so they talked about his early childhood playing a role and leading up to these murders. Yeah. Saying that Dennis and his accomplice, you know, when they robbed uh, Martin and, and Kurt at gunpoint, the state alleges that Dennis intentionally shot Kyle after the victim failed to give anything of substance to the defendant. Dennis admits that he shot the victim, but maintains the shots. The shooting was accidental. Shooting somebody in the face with a sawed-off shotgun is not accidental. His logic that it's accidental is like, I was high. At least I think. But that's not accidental. That's not... No. He's, you were robbing somebody. Like, yes. there was no... That's not... It's not an accident. Right. If you're saying, like, I, I was pointing the gun at his face, I wasn't going to shoot him, but I was high on, on embalming fluid, so my motor skills were a little messed up and my finger twitched. Yeah. But... But the gun was, I had it pointed at him, but just as a threat. Yeah. It's like, well, no, that's not, no. We aren't doing that. So he was under the influence of alcohol at the time of the crimes. And other things. As well as possibly during his interrogation. The defense claimed on appeal that his altered state prevented him from being fully aware of his actions. So during his parole board hearing in 2004, Dennis also blamed Kyle for failing to cooperate. He blamed the victim for, oh, for like not just giving him the money. Yep. Wow. Well, so he, he's learned nothing. No remorse. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's no remorse. Yep. So Dennis also blamed Kyle for failing to cooperate and noticed that he was high on drugs. He said that I ain't saying it was all his fault, but why did he move? Every day I think about that. It ain't why did you kill him. It's why did you move? Is that what he, that's what he told the poor old board. Blaming his quote-unquote accidental shooting uh-huh. on the victim. On Kyle, on the victim. And saying that if I was in my right mind... There would have been no... no that old lady that was walking her dog wouldn't have... Wouldn't have uh, she wouldn't have been able to tell she saw me. They should... His his uh, defense team should have probably told him to shut the fuck up. I don't know what this is like... The worst things you could be saying. Yeah. I would have killed somebody else if I was of my right mind. Yeah. What? Or maybe he just meant he wouldn't have gotten seen. Maybe let's not... Let's try to. He said I wouldn't have left any eyewitnesses. What is that? Left. Yeah. Wouldn't have left any. Yeah. Well. So he said that he said he's in God's hands now. Everything's going to be just the way it was intended. He said I'll see everybody when they get there. That was his final statement. What does that mean? Uh, to heaven? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Because that's not where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be real hot where you go, brother. Bring that sunscreen. Is not where you going, my brother. So Dennis skipped his final meal. Ah, boring. He skipped his final breakfast. Wednesday after a special meal, he requested 
He requested Tuesday of fried catfish, uh-huh. lasagna. A lot of bones in catfish. Toasted garlic. Toasted garlic bread, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Van- <laughs> vanilla ice cream. Yes. And pecan and pumpkin and sweet potato pie with whipped cream. Three different pies? Yeah. Oh, this is a pie guy. Okay, so okay, so catfish, lasagna, uh, vanilla ice cream? Yes. And pie? Yep. Uh, and sweet potato, yeah, with whipped cream. I don't really like catfish, bony, a lot of little bones. But lasagna, I like some lasagna nudie. Yeah. Um, sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie. Pecan pies, I told you uh, previously, um, I be- became a fan of pecan pie. I don't like in it. In the last couple of years. I don't like it. It's, yeah, it's it's very rich and sweet because that middle filling part is thick, syrupy, congealed, I don't know, maple syrup or something. But I like it. I'm a fan. So I give that final meal a 6.5. Okay, I give it a 5. A 5? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's no fries. None of the things that you, that you hit for. There's no nah. fries on that, no milkshake. Nah. Yeah, it's not a Fran final meal. Lasagna, though. Lasagna's delicious. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I would probably pick some shrimp scampi. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious, man. <laughs> I don't want that before I went lasagna. Some shrimp scampi? Yeah. I respect it. So, Dennis, Dennis's accomplice, Leroy Lamar Anderson, was 17 at the time of the crime. And Ohio law prohibits the death penalty for those younger than 18. And he is serving a life sentence. At age 28, Dennis was the youngest inmate put to death in Ohio since 1962, and his execution was the 15th since the state resumed using the death penalty in 1999. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh... Mr. Dennis is no longer with us. He's dead. That guy's super dead now. He's dead. Not in heaven. No, for sure not. I don't... If he sees anybody that he loves and knows there, that he they should be sad. Yeah, I'd be offended if he said that to me. Like, no, you the hell you won't. Yes, <laughs> I love you, man, but <laughs> you won't see me where yeah. you're going. Yeah. So he was lethal injection, October thirteenth, two thousand four, was his last day. Wow. Yep. And that was the story of Adrian E. Dennis. Well, but in Akron, man, shout out to LeBron James. Um, that's where they were from, Akron. Uh yeah. Well, let, let's, on a lighter note before we get to the good vibes, let's just talk for a quick little 10 seconds about, man, the things that guy overcame. Oh, yeah. Am I right? I mean, yeah, let's, yeah. I mean let's not get it twisted. He was 6'10", 6'8", destined for greatness. Oh, yeah. All he had to do was kind of just not fuck up. Yeah, all he had to do was just not fuck up. But there was a lot of fuck-ups to be had in Akron, Ohio, for sure. Yeah. The temptations were there. But still... 20-year career, never fucked up once, no scandals. Man, solid dude. Great dad. <laughs> that guy. The chosen one. Absolutely. Greatness. Yeah, well, yeah. LeBron shout to King James. Yeah, King James. LeBron James, King James of Akron, Ohio. The one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, so that's great. Let's go ahead and get into these good vibes before we get up out of here. Good, Which one of us, of us goes first? I, I go first. Oh, please. So welcome back to our Good Vibe segment. So my Good Vibe this week is at uh, Children's Hospital. I'm sorry, Children's Health of Orange County, California. It says you need to be on the lookout for tots 
getting lab tests mm. because they'll be tooting the horn at the wheel of their new electric Honda. They get a little car? Get a little car. I like which that. Which is bringing laughs and comfort to sick children. Designed by Honda engineers to ease the stress and anxiety of hospitalized children, the car brought tears to their adult eyes when talking about its genesis. Mm. So Honda built a nice, you know, little mini car for these kids. For to, kids at hospitals. Yep. To transport from, you know, when they go get tests back to their room and stuff like that. Makes me jealous. Not jealous of them, but like yeah. I missed, I'm, I got, I got older before they made those shopping carts to have little big wheel, like the little cars. There's like a little the thing in shopping front of it? cart, but there's like a, a big wheel, not a big wheel, but like a little car yeah, that yeah, you can yeah, sit in yeah. as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I missed that. Yeah, man. I think I, I one of the saddest days of my life. It, I'll, I'll start crying right now. I think about it too hard. But that the day when you realize your legs can't fit in those two little slots in the shopping cart anymore. Oh, so yeah. you can't sit in the shopping cart. Yeah, and then you like that day where you have to try to struggle to get out of it because you got stuck because yeah. your legs are too big. Yeah, once you once they get too long, you can't you can't you maneuver can't them, right. them. You can't bend them enough to to get yeah. it. Well, for, for some of, for for some of us, our legs got too thick, right? Yeah, well, mine was just too long and skinny. Okay, well, so you feel my pain, so you didn't need to get specific. You could just understand what I my meant. You didn't, some of us got thick, and uh, you squeeze some things in there. Oh no, because then this metal is scratching your leg uh, and everything. You bust. So what she told you sitting the big part. She told me to get the fuck out. My mom oh. was like, "Get out of the." Because <laughs> oh. I'm like, I think I'm stuck. Call up. I think you cut me out of it. I start freaking out as soon as I, as soon as I get claustrophobic for a second, it gets like, I, I get ridiculous. Huh? I get ridiculous. It's like. I'll just move a little bit and then come. I'm like, no, you're going to call the fire department. And I'm in the aisle in a grocery store yeah. making a scene. Just get out of the Our teeth are clenched. Get out of the thing right now. Get out. Was you like standing up in a cart? Yeah. Was the cart like leaned over? You were standing up in it? No, she had to like, yeah, oh, she had to, like, no, like, she had to like lean it forward. Like, oh, okay. And I had to basically like stand out. up yeah, and yeah, step yeah. out of it with the basket part on the floor. Yeah. And making a the, scene. Making a scene. That was the last day I ever tried. But these kids get this. That's yeah, cool. They get a nice little car. It's called the Shogo. Ooh. It was specifically designed to navigate hospital hallways and transport all HIV drips and monitoring monitoring machines a child might require. It allows them to drive themselves down the hallways to their treatments, turning what could be a stressful journey into a fun joy ride. Sounds like it. So uh, one of the guys that's the manager of national advertising at American Honda Motor Company uh -huh. said that, you know, to see the joy in the faces of these young patients when they get behind the wheel of the showgo is truly is truly rewarding. Randall Smock, a senior ex exterior designer of the vehicles for the company, played a significant role in the design of showgo and called it a labor of love. That's nice. He said, as someone who spent time in hospitals as a young child, I really wanted the number one objective of showgo to be easing the hardship of hospital of a hospital stay. By providing kids a lasting positive memory about that experience. That's nice. Yeah, man. So that's dope. That's very sweet. Yeah. That's shout out to Honda. Shout out to Honda, man. The Civic, the Accord, yes. the Pilot, mm -hmm. Odyssey, mm -hmm. Van, Van Life. I didn't know. Yeah. But no, your first car was a Van. Yeah, I thought you meant like it wasn't a Honda, though. It wasn't. Yeah, but yeah. you lived oh, that Van Yeah, life. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lived that many Van Life. Yeah. Uh, my story is about a young man who makes a wrong turn down a street and then ends up saving a sleeping family from a fire. Wow. So, 
A driver who took a wrong turn was able to save the lives of four people after miraculously driving down their street and seeing their house on fire. A doorbell camera video captures the moment the young man from Omaha, Nebraska, ran around the house to start banging on the windows and calling 911. Brendan Burt told KETV News 7 that the fire was getting worse every second, but he wasn't giving up. He said, I just felt like somebody was in there just because it was so late at night, you know? I just knew that it I just knew that I had to act quick. On the video, three kids are eventually seen running out of the out of the door in the Red Oak, Iowa neighborhood. And finally, their 22-year-old brother, who was looking after their after his young siblings, emerged. When he saw the kids come out of the front door, Bert said, I just felt like I wanted to break down and cry. And I don't even know these people. The boy's mother, Tender Lehman. Never, never heard of that name before. Uh, Tender was in Montana at the time dealing with a family emergency. Mrs. Lehman described Bert, who is a singer slash musician, as family now and called it a miracle. They're safe and they're safe because of him, she told KETV. Because the family's home was not insured, a GoFundMe campaign was set to collect oh, the do- wow. collect donations, which has raised $21,000 of its $30,000 goal. So they're right there. Yep, almost. You can Venmo Lehman. You can Venmo Tender Lehman at Tender. T-E-N-D-E-R, like chicken tenders. Lehman. L-E-H-M-A-N. No. No. Uh, no, no that's word, word, word association. Um, so yeah, so there's a video of it. The flames were bursting. Like flames were, oh, it was insane. Uh, but the family's safe. Everybody's safe. They made it out and things are replaceable. That home, that home can be rebuilt and salvaged and everything. And I'm sure they're going to get a little more donations. Again, that's tender, like the chicken tenders at tender Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N, tender Lehman. If you have some money to spare on Venmo, go send them $5, $10, whatever you can spare and help them get their home back. It's a very sweet, heartwarming story. They're hugging, they're hugging each other. Very sweet story. So um, shout out to that family. Uh, Fran, before we get out of here, yeah. uh, been watching anything good lately? Um, I, I looked up a uh, Rolling Stones top 100 funniest movies. Okay. And did I you started, start it? It's either top 100, top 100 or top 25. One of them. But I started at. That's a big difference in work. Yeah. I, st- I think it's 25. But okay. I started at. Um, well, because one of them. I don't know which one it is, but one of them was like, there's a lot of movies I've seen on there because it was like super bad and stuff like that. So I was sure, like, of course. I know those. Let me try another one. So the one I found was, it started at number one. The number one movie was Blazing Sad- Saddles. Ooh. I think it was, right? Yeah. Listen, 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 listen. Okay, okay. So, so I turn it on, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, the first, man, I don't even want to say the first minute. The Negro word came up. Uh-huh. I went, no, okay. nigger. No, yes. They, yeah. They, yes. Yeah. Uh huh. I went okay. A couple more dropped. I was like, I'm out. I don't. So I don't know what the movie was about. I was out. I was like, yeah, this ain't. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, yeah, no. The first time I watched Blazing Saddles because it's like a one of those classic comedies, classic American comedies. Yeah. And it's got Willy Wonka in it. Gina, whatever the fuck his name is. The guy that plays Willy Wonka yeah. in the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. And I cut it on. And I was like, <laughs> not my brand of comedy. I was like, this isn't for me. I was like, like, I, I was like nah, I don't really listen. Too many. It was too many N words. I was like, yeah, this yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, they're dropping it. It was it number hard. one. Number one. 
it's one of those old Hollywood movies, though. It, it's like it's like at this point, people still call it good because it's like what you have to do. It's like saying one of the best movies all time of all time is Citizen Kane. Like there's there's robots in movies now, bro. Like Citizen Kane is not better than Ex Machina. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just but you have to say it is because like would there be uh, Ex Machina without Citizen Kane? So that's how Blazing Saddles is. It's like you have to if you're a person who's like a film whatever the fuck yeah. whatever. You have to kind of give Blazing Saddles its respect because a lot of the bits and the things that they do, if they didn't do it in that movie, would that exist in an Austin Powers or a whatever the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah, so but it's like that. It like laid the foundation, but it's a movie that aged horribly. Like yeah, I, but I don't. I'm for some. I'm in a, I'm a fan of comedy movies, but slapstick comedy. I'm not. Yeah, no, it's I'm very slapsticky. Yeah, I, if I want to do that, I'll go watch the Three Stooges and I'll watch. It's that. very much like that. It's I'll very much that. like that, or like Airplane, or that, any, well, speaking of Airplane, that's the one I'm watching now. Uh-huh. I started watching last night. Airplane asleep. is funny though. But I was like, okay, it, it, I saw this one on the on a couple lists. I was like, I'll watch Airplane. So I yeah. started watching. Airplane that. is Air, Airplane is funny. It, but it's slapsticky, goofy. It is, but I'm just like long-winded bits. Like, but it's like who's on first? Yeah. I'm on first. First on third. third yeah. It's like that kind of. Yeah, stuff. but it's like. The movies and a lot of movie, a lot of those movies are like old timey yeah. movies. So uh-huh. I was like, okay, before I get into the more modern, yeah, movies, you got to pay your dues. I'll, yeah, so I'll like, watch airplane, goofy ass. Yeah, but if airplane you, in a, a not like <laughs> stupid shit. I was like, right, but I'll if you watch it, it that's what you got to do. You got to watch it as a student of comedy, right? And you'll see, yeah, yeah. oh, the movie that I like that's funny took this style, yeah, and made it how I like it. So you can see the bones of a good joke or a good premise or uh, a lot of Austin Powers you'll see in some of these old movies of like, what's that? A Wang? Wang Chung? Like like wor- like wordplay and yeah. stupid shit like that. But it works in Austin Powers. And I don't I don't think I think Austin Powers age really well. Yeah. So like I don't think Blazing Saddles age well at all. I would never show a kid Blazing Saddles. Yeah. I was like Mad I'm, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, it's I'm out. It's, it's so um but yeah, I mean Keep working through it though, man. Uh, I'm on that. I bet uh, Knocked Up is on there. You're gonna get to probably. some the good probably, ones. I, yeah, I'm on like I'm on airplane right now, so I'm watching that. I saw uh, Father Stew. Have you seen that movie? No, but I heard about it. It's Mark uh, Wahlberg, right? Yeah, I saw that. Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. That was I'm Father Stew. That was good. I like that movie. I'm Father. I'm the Father Stew. Um, yeah, the girl that's in that is in Mo. Is the girlfriend in Mo? The Mo's pretty pretty Mexican lady. Yes, yes, she's in that. She's in that movie. She's nice. Um, I like. But her. and that is that is about it. Okay. Yeah. How about yourself? I've been watching Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. It's on Netflix. It's it's kind of like uh, Tales from the Crypt or The Twilight Zone. That's a dude Zone. from uh, Jimmy... I mean... Uh, no, it's not no. Guillermo the security <laughs> guard from the Jimmy Fallon... From the Jimmy Kimmel show. <laughs> you thought he had a show? Yeah, I was like... Okay, <laughs> no. Guillermo del Toro is a director. Oh, okay. He made uh, Shape of Water, uh, Pan's, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. He, made, he makes really good horror movies. All right. And this show is like he curated... So he comes out and he's like, welcome to my show. What is it called? Pe- Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Okay. And what he does, he comes out and he's like, this next story, this next, sh- uh, they're like short films. Okay. And they're all, they're all horror themed. Hmm. And he, he curate, he selects them. And I think he, he kind of gives like, basically I think he gives a director a budget to make a short film. And they okay. make it. and then Different he, directors? Different directors. Okay, cool. Each episode is a different director. It's like oh, an cool. hour long. And, um... They've all been. I've watched like four of them. They are they're all crazy and stuff, and it's really good. Like, is this like equivalent to like a stand up type of thing? No, because I mean, like I mean, no, like because I mean, I mean, you can have yeah, but I mean, like are yeah, they are like they spot- expressing 
they're the way that they direct or create films. Yes, like they're a, all like, unique. Yeah, yeah like a, it's like their a unique comedy. style. Like, yes. a, like, a yeah. like it's like a, it's like a comedy spotlight except right. directorial. Right, and exactly. it, they, when it comes on, it tells you the director's name and all that stuff, yeah. and, and then they show you their vision. Right. And each episode is a different director. Right. But he, as Guillermo del Toro, has curated the people. He selected these people's stories and let them direct a, an episode of a show. He's the host. He's the host, yes. Yes. Right. So it's like Twilight Zone. But, um, yeah, so I've been watching that, and that's good. And um, I think Atlanta's over. I, didn't, I haven't watched the finale yet, but I've been meaning to. And that's been great this season. I just haven't watched the finale yet. And uh, so I've been watching those two things. And uh, What yeah. is it called again? The show? That Guillermo I just said, Guillermo, Guillermo, just it's the ca- cabinet of curiosities. Cap- it's on HBO Max. It's on Netflix. Netflix, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, still, they still drop some, some every once in a while gems. Every once in a while, all right. They do, as we know, they do documentaries better than most, and every once in a while they'll drop a show that people need to watch. Also, I've been watching Love Is Blind season three. Okay, I'm still on that train. That show's crazy. Hmm. The premise of it is wild. Um, this season, there was a guy on there who's a legit sociopath. He didn't get picked by anybody. He got sent home or like didn't pair up with anybody, but he poured Visine in his eyes to make it look like he was crying. Like he was sad because the girl didn't choose him, but the producers didn't cut that part out. So they showed him pouring the Visine in his eyes to make himself his eyes water. And then he went just so sad because, you know, I never knew a girl could break my heart like that. But then in between that, he'd be like, is this cool if I, can I can I do this? Are you guys cool with that? And they were like, Yeah, sure, man. And like, if you if your eyes are dry, and he's like, Yeah, thanks. Bloop bloop. <sighs> Just uh, I never had my heart broken like this before. Wow. They showed all of it, so you're like, Oh, this dude's nuts. Yeah. So yeah, Love Is Blind season three, great stuff. Um, anyway, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans, and we'll see you guys next week. Deuces.